We're glad that you're here. Glad that you're here this morning. If you came with a friend, somebody invited you. We're so glad that you're here. And this morning, uh, my hope and my prayer is that for some of us who've been collecting the dots, and what I mean by that is some of us has been coming over weeks and months, and, and maybe this is your first time here at our church, but you've been collecting the dots of looking at what Christianity is. And, and today, my hope is that by God's Spirit, you'll be able to connect the dots. That today will be the day that the dots you've been collecting, that you'd connect the dots and that you come to see Christ as Savior and Lord. Uh, this morning at the 9 o'clock service, three people decided to confess and declare publicly Christ as Lord. And it was, yes, yes, yes. And if, that, and if that doesn't like get you, if you're a Christian, you don't have a pulse. Because you and I both know that doesn't just happen. You know what I'm saying? That's the supernatural work of God. And so if you're sitting here this morning, I'm just telling you in advance, at the very end of this service, there's going to be a challenge, a call for you that have been collecting the dots to connect the dots. See, I love the Resurrection Sunday narratives of the Gospels because the disciples are so stupid. <laughs> and I can relate. The disciples are sort of, you know, they're clueless. I mean, think about this. For three years, three years, they heard this over and over and over again. Luke chapter 8, passages like this. Or not. He said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed. And say this with me, what? On the third day, be raised. Not once, not twice, like over and over. Here's another passage. Luke chapter, uh, next one please. Next slide. 18. They will flock him and kill him. And on the, say it with me, ready? Third day, he will rise again. They heard this. So, so, on that resurrection Sunday, right? God, God, creator God, breathed life into his son. And his son, with the breath of life, comes to life. He rises from the dead, defeating Satan, sin, and death. And he comes out of that tomb to an enormous audience of zero. There's nobody there. We're the disciples. We're the people who heard this over and over and over again. We're the people who heard him teach and walk with him and ate with him. We're the people that were very close to him. It was just as unbelievable for them as it is for some of us sitting here today. It was just as impossible for them to believe. Now, I'll tell you why that's important. Because you know what resurrection faith, what saving faith is? Saving faith rests on truth. Saving faith rests on truth, not in blind faith. I mean, it's amazing to me when I talk to people who are non-Christian and they talk about Easter, you know, they say all this stuff like, you know, I mean, Christians believe that stuff because, you know, way back then they believed in that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? Like way back then when they weren't very educated and scientific and they just kind of sort of believe that stuff because the culture, you know, but now, 2013, we're modern, we're educated, we have science. Nonsense to believe in stuff like bodily resurrection from the dead. Uh, if you're sitting in this morning, go, well, they believe back in the day because they just believe that kind of stuff, and it's hard for me to believe today because uh, I'm just you know a modern person. You're 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 doing what C.S. Lewis called chronological snobbery. What is that? Well, he said, well, you need to understand first century culture. And if you understood first century culture, you'd realize it was just as difficult, if not more difficult, for them to believe in the bodily resurrection than it is for you and me today. I'll tell you why. 
Because there's two predominant worldviews that people kind of held to that. The Greeks and the Romans believed that the physical, the body, the material was bad, was evil, and the soul and the spirit of a person was good. And so death actually was a good thing because the body and the material was left and your soul was freed. So believe in a re- so to be resurrected physically from the dead wasn't just impossible, it was undesirable. People are like, why would you why why would you want to go get your body back? Nobody would have believed that. And the Jews, let's talk about the Jews. The Jews believed that the resurrection would occur at the very end of time when all of God's righteous would be resurrected from the dead. But the thought that a single person, who claimed to be God, by the way, which the Jews had a little problem with, that a single person in the middle of history would rise from the dead, the Jews were like, what? Somebody once asked the rabbi, why do you not believe that Jesus is Messiah? You know what his answer was? He said, because death continues, evil continues, injustice continues. Jesus could not possibly have risen from the dead. It was just as impossible, if not more, for first century audience to believe in the Bible. And yet they believed. Why? Why? Let me ask you this way. If you're sitting here this morning going, I don't believe in the Bible. Come on, that's nonsense. Let me ask you, what would it take? What would it take for you to objectively come to face-to-face, and actually objectively be faced with something that would be so powerful, so amazing, that you couldn't help but believe. Whatever that is, for the first century audience, it took that and then some. And they believed, though. Why? Because they looked at the evidence. They looked at, the, they weren't intellectually lazy like some of us today. Well, these worldviews just, no. They looked at the evidence and they said, oh. See, Jesus walked with them. He ate with them. He touched them. And the people saw him. 500 people saw him alive who talked, ministered to them. And then after 40 days when Jesus went up to heaven, hundreds and thousands of people came to believe the testimony of those who till their very dying breath said, he's risen, he's risen, he's risen. Let's apply this. People today go, well, you know, if Christianity works for you, if it helps you, you know, if it's, if it's helpful to you, if it works for you, if it encourages you, then it's true. Christianity says it's the opposite. Because it's true, it will help you. Because it's true, it will work for you. Because it's true, it will change you. And play this way. You're sitting here today, and horrible things are happening in the world. Horrible things are going to happen to your life. Horrible things are going to happen to people that you love. What is going to give you not just hope, but certainty that one day God is going to make everything right, and there will be no more sin, no more death, no more injustice? What will give you that assurance? I'll tell you what it is. It's the truth that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Amen? What will, if you're sitting here this morning going, I'm a mess, I'm in a mess, I've failed, I've failed miserably, I've sinned, I've done all kinds of things. What, if you're a Christian, what will give you assurance, not just I hope so, assurance and certainty beyond any doubt that God loves you and that God will never let you go? I'll tell you what it is. It's the truth of his resurrection. I won't give you any hope. Anybody lose a loved one this year? Maybe you've seen death. Maybe you saw death up front. Anybody, have you, anybody here, I saw this once, saw a human body go to dust, you know? 
I saw a human body go to dust. They, they zoomed the grave and then saw a human body go to dust. If you're a Christian, what would make you look at that dust and go, one day that sucker's going to be resurrected and it's going to be given a body. And so I don't have to fear death. I don't have to fear sickness. I don't have to fear anything. What would give you certainty, not just hope, that that's going to happen one day? Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Is that good news? That's why... For most of us, when we sing that, don't cry, the reason why you could wipe every tear, the reason why no matter what you're going through, today, today you could have hope that God is going to put the world back together, that one day you will be resurrected from the dead, and that God loves you infallibly and eternally, is the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and that's truth. So we're going to sing this now again, just a chorus. Because as you sing it, think about what I just said. As you sing it, it says, don't cry. As you sing it, think about the injustice of evil in the world. Think about the injustice of evil in your heart. Think about the struggles and the painful things you've gone through and you will go through. What will give you hope? It's not, oh, I just hope in some, you know, metaphysical. It's the hope and the truth that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And then that doesn't bring you to your feet and go, oh, man. I don't have to fear death. I don't have to fear life. I don't have to fear child struggle. I don't have to fear anything in this life, no matter what. Because the truth of his resurrection, the answer to Easter Sunday, yes, yes, yes. So, Father, for anybody, anybody this morning that's in need of that hope, the assurance and the certainty of the resurrection. We pray, we pray, Spirit of God, that you would open our eyes, that you would help our unbelief, that you would enable us to see the truth and the beauty of what this day means. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. John 20. John 20 is our text for this morning. And, uh, and I share with the 9 o'clock service that, that this is my favorite resurrection passage because the author John writes himself into the story, whereas the other gospel writers don't. And he does it in, a, in some comical ways. And so I want to show you. John 20. It says, Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. And verse 2, it says, So she came running to Simon, and the other disciple, that would be who? The other disciple would be who? That would be John, okay? So John is writing himself into the story, thank you very much. And he's saying, I'm the other disciple, by the way, okay? Um, the one that, what? Yes, do you find that funny? I do, okay? He is, he is saying, I am the one that he loves. And I think, you know, in, in parentheses, it would be like, the most, okay? So apparently, he didn't, Jesus didn't love the other disciples, but John, he loved him. Okay, John, whatever. Okay, and, and, and they said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Verse 3, so Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Verse 4, both were running But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. So apparently he's not only loved the most, but he's fast. Okay, so we know that. All right, verse 20. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen. That's John lying there, but he did not go in. Verse 6. But Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived. And he bolted. 
bolted into the tomb. Why? You know why. We know why. What had just happened a couple days earlier? Jesus, even if all these schmucks deny you, I will never deny you. I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. Peter, that morning, my guess, is carrying something that a lot of you this morning are carrying. It's enormous guilt, condemnation, and a sense that I'm an utter miserable failure. I've let him down. You know what that's like? So Peter's like, he can't be alive. Because if he's alive, what the heck does that mean for me? I got to, he bolts into the tomb. And Jesus, in John 21, in front of all the disciples, says what? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, three times for every single declaration of denial of Jesus, Jesus asks, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Every declaration of denial, every declaration of restoration, every declaration of I don't know you, every declaration of I love you. See, guys, can I just tell you something? And this is why I'm a Christian, and I hope a lot of you are Christians. Because the gospel, gospel is so counterintuitive. I tell you this morning, the profundity of the gospel, you like that word, the profundity of the gospel. You know what the profundity of the gospel says? The profundity of the gospel says that the biggest screw-ups in the world become the biggest repenters. And because they become the biggest repenters, they become most deeply able to understand the gospel. And as a result, the biggest screw-ups become the best repenters who understand the gospel most, and they become the best husbands, best wives, best pastors, best leaders, best lovers. See, the essence of the gospel and Christianity is a savior who says, I came to win salvation by losing. I came, I, I, I came not in strength, but in weakness and in service. And I came to wealth by giving everything away. A totally counterculture, counterintuitive. And so the gospel of Jesus Christ says, I came and I, I came and I, I brought salvation by weakness and by losing and by death. And that means that my salvation, listen to this, my salvation, what it means to be a Christian, is not to those who are strong, who are achieved, who have succeeded. My salvation is available to those who are weak, who are marginalized, who are the least of these, who are totally and utterly dependent on me because on their own they know that there's nothing that they can do to find salvation. Is that good news? Is that good news? It's good news to any of us who are sitting here going, I failed, I've met, I failed, I'm not all that I, I, I ought to be, I can't meet up to the standards, and why would God possibly want someone like, I'm not worthy? And God says, the moment that you recognize you're not worthy, you become qualified to become worthy to be a disciple of Jesus. Now, the profundity of the gospel, if there Peter's out there, he's sitting here this morning, and maybe you've dragged to church by your parents or dragged to church by your friend or your bride, and you're sitting here this morning, I'm telling you, if you, 
all your life thought, you know, Christianity and becoming Christian is for the moral, the strong, and those people who have their acts together. It couldn't have been more be different. It couldn't be more different. The gospel, the Bible says, is for the weak, those who acknowledge that they failed, those who acknowledge that they're not worthy of Christ. That's what makes you worthy. The profundity of the gospel for the weak, for the dependent, for the helpless. So here's the amazing thing. Some of us, the biggest screw-ups, and they've failed. When you understand the gospel, it pushes you deeper and deeper and deeper into the reality that the costliness of the cross and the wonder of his sacrifice and the radical nature of his love, even though we are undeserving, by grace and grace alone is gifted to us. By gifted to us. The profundity of the gospel, the Easter story says over and over again, it's for the screw-ups. It's for the weak. Hmm. And then verse 7. It says, he saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. And the cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. I'll tell you why that's interesting. Have you ever heard, the, have you ever heard uh, uh, some, of the, some of the explanations that went around to, to, to explain away the resurrection? So the Fincher's theories that rose up, and one of the theories actually was that the disciples stole the body of Jesus. They stole the body of Jesus to perpetuate the smith that he was risen from the dead. There's a small problem, though, when you really read the accounts, okay? I've never stolen a body. I just want you to know that, okay? I've never stolen a body. That wasn't profound. I just, I'm confessing this morning. I've never stolen a body. I've never stolen a dead body for that matter, okay? Um, <laughs> but here's what I would have faced if I was to steal the body of Christ on that Easter Sunday. You ready? First of all. The body would have been like 80 pounds, 80 pounds, 80 pounds of ointment and spices, okay? I'm not as 80 pounds, okay? So I, not only that, but I would have brought guys, strong guys. Here's the reason why. When you went to them, first thing you would have seen was Roman soldiers. And these are tough, bad dudes, okay? So you need to get by them first. Then you would have to remove the seal of the stone, seal of the tomb, which was very, very heavy, okay? Then, if I finally somehow managed to beat up the Roman soldiers, remove the seal, and went into the tomb, I would get that body, and I would get the heck out of there. I'd be like, I got three seconds to steal this body, and I'm out, y'all. Okay? The last thing that I would do, let's unwrap the linen. Watch, guard, guard, guard. If somebody comes, tell us, because we're going to be busy unwrapping it. Oh, and after you unwrap it, we're going to fold it. I'm going to put it nicely where the headstone was. You know what the author is saying? The author is saying, look at the evidence. Don't be intellectually lazy. Don't sit here this morning and go, well, the resurrection of first century uneducated fishermen. No. It was just as impossible, if not more, for them to believe than it is for you today. And yet they believe. Why? They looked at the evidence. They looked at the evidence and said, what happened? What happened? <laughs> Some of y'all are going to visit for the first time. You're going to go home today. People will be like, how was church? And you'll be like, he called me lazy. I'm not calling you lazy. I'm saying don't be intellectually lazy and just go, ah, I couldn't be. They looked at the evidence. Okay, keep going. Verse 8 says, Finally, the other disciple who had reached it. Yes, John, we know you're fast. Okay, we know you're quick. All right? 
by the way, if you look really hard, the epistles of Peter, when, you know, first and second Peter, he gives a little dig to John. Check it out. He doesn't. I'm just kidding, okay? Uh, to him first, also went inside, and it says, he saw John and believed. This is probably the most difficult, challenging part of this sermon, but I need to do this, okay? I need to do this morning. I need to say to you today, resurrection faith is not a, is a transfer of trust, not a creation of it. Resurrection faith is a transfer of trust, not a creation of it. Here's what I mean. Again, again, you see me for the first time, you're like, man, he's kind of in my face. This is the most difficult, and yet I need to do this. If you're sitting here this morning going, oh, man, Peter, I'd like to believe, you know, I'd like to believe. I see these people around me, and they sort of believe in God and believe in Jesus, and I'd like to believe, man, but I just don't have faith like that. I want to tell you today that when you read the Bible, it essentially says that all of us, all of us have tremendous faith in one of two things. We either have faith that God is competent, that God is God, God is Lord, that he is in control to run our lives, or we believe that we are competent, that we are capable, that we are in control of our lives, and that we can do it. It's not that you don't have faith. My friend, I don't know you, but I want to say this to you. You have enormous amount of faith. Oh, you have tremendous amount of faith. It's an unshakable faith in your ability to do life on your own. In yourself, that you are capable of doing this thing called life. So don't tell me that you don't have, you have tremendous amount of faith, tremendous amount of trust that you are capable. Resurrection faith is not, I wish I had faith. It's taking your faith in yourself and your capability and it's transferring it to Christ and who he is. Are you hearing me? Listen, when you read the Bible, when you read the Bible about what it says about Jesus, it's almost hard to read it objectively because Jesus didn't come and go, I'm a philosopher, here's some good things. I'm a teacher, learn from me. Jesus said, I'm God, I'm God, I'm God. By the way, I'm going to die on the cross. By the way, three days, I'm going to rise from the dead. And oh, by the way, I'm going to rise and I'm going to rule and reign as king and as Lord of all creation. King Jesus resurrected and one day all knees shall bow and all tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So you... Why not get going right now today and give allegiance to me and give your Lord and life to me? Now, can I ask you something? Who's going to be objective about that? Which one of us sitting and going, oh yeah, that makes perfect sense. I'll give my allegiance to King Jesus. I'll know, are you kidding me? You're going to fight it. You're going to fight it. You're going to fight it. Not because you don't have faith. You have tremendous amount of faith in yourself and your capability. Who do you trust? Who do you trust? Him? Salvation. Resurrection faith is not a creation of faith. Can can I say something? And I say this to our church all the time. Can we just admit this morning, you don't have to admit to each other, you just admit to yourself, that we're not very good at being in control. Can we have an Oprah moment this morning going, yeah, Oprah, it's true. I come up and tell my own story. Anybody? Just even this year, haven't you realized you can't stop death? You can't stop traffic accidents? You can't stop cancer? You can't stop divorce? Crying out loud, you can't even control Chicago traffic. What makes you think you're actually in control of your life and that you're competent to run it? Aren't you tired of pretending that you're in control? 
Maybe today you admit, I'm not in control. And whoo, that is freeing. And then I just saw some spouses go, admit that you're not in control. <laughs> admit it. Admit it. Let's keep going. All right. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. Verse 13. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said. I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Verse 15, woman, she said, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? And thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned around toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Resurrection faith comes through grace. Resurrection faith. Do you know why I love this story of Mary? And I could preach it every Sunday and every Easter. Because Mary is a perfect example where many of us were, are today, and some of us will be. She's a seeker. She's a spiritual seeker. And man, she is sincere. She is passionate. She's willing to duke it out with Jesus of all people, right? Where'd you put him? Where'd you put him? I mean, she's sincere, she's passionate, but she has no idea who he is until Jesus breaks into her. Do you see that? Until Jesus says to her, it's not Jesus? Oh, hi there, Mary. It's Mary. Jesus? If Jesus sits there and waits for Mary to know who he is, see who he is, seeks Jesus, he will wait forever. It's when Jesus breaks into her darkness, breaks into her, into her inability to see Jesus, that Mary is able to say, it's you. All the major religions of the world, friends, Buddhists, Buddhism essentially says, hey, here's how you search for God. And the Muslims say, no, 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 that's not how you, here's how you search for God. And the Hindus come and say, no, 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 that's not, here's how you search for God. And Jesus comes and he goes, stop searching, stop searching, stop searching. Because unless I come and seek after you, you will never find me. You will never see me. So for us sitting here today, us sitting here today, who can follow and claim Jesus Christ as Lord, do you realize that Easter Sunday reminds us that it's because he loved me first that I could love him? It's because he broke through your darkness. It's because he broke through my darkness. It's because he loved me first that I can say, I love you. The gospel. And you know what else I love about this? The gospel. Who's the first missionary in all the Bible? It's who? It's Mary. Mary is the first missionary in the Bible. Do you realize that? It could have been John. John's at the tomb. Jesus could have come out and be like, John, go and tell. 
He didn't. It could have been Peter. He was at the tomb. Jesus could come out and say, Peter, go and tell. It's when Mary comes that Jesus comes and says, Mary, go on. Do you know what's so powerful about that? Mary is a woman, not a man. This is a culture in which women's testimonies are not even allowed in court. Not only that, but Mary is a mental patient. Do you know that? What the heck are you talking about, Peter? In Luke 18, there's a, in Luke 8, there's a picture of Mary. This is the same Mary Magdalene, who the Bible says has seven evil spirits. And the word seven is not one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven is an idiomatic expression in Jewish culture that meant mega, mega. Are you familiar with the word mega? Mega jackpot, mega millions. I'm sorry. I, I used that analogy this morning, and it made me sick to my stomach, but I, had to, I, don't, I can't think of any other words. We don't use mega, you know? We don't do like, oh, dude, that's so mega. We don't do that, right? We, we, maybe they do in California. I don't know. We don't do that in Chicago. That's weird. That's just weird. Mega. What does mega mean? You know what mega means? Mega is just huge. Look. Idiomatic expression, Jewish culture. We're seven. It's not one, two, three, five. It's mega, which means she was mega possessed. And the only other time you find this is in Mark 6 when there's another dude who's mega possessed. And you know what the picture is? It's a guy who has chains on his feet. It's a guy who's cutting himself. It's a guy who's wandering around in the tombs at night crying out and shouting. It's a guy who's totally excluded from the community. That's what mega possessed is. That's who Mary was. That's who Mary was. And Jesus chooses as the person to spread the gospel. Not a religious leader. Not a priest. But a former demon-possessed mental patient. What does that tell you about the gospel of Jesus Christ? What does that tell you about the gospel of Jesus? Is this good news? That means that anybody, race, color, Soaks the economic background, education, whether you've been moral, whether you haven't been moral, whether you've done, whether you have done well, anybody in Christ can come and be included in the family of God. I said this morning, that like resonates with like a handful of us are like, oh man, I can resonate with Mary. But the vast majority of us are like, oh, I'm educated. I'm successful. I've got stuff together. Oh my gosh. The good news about the gospel is it's for the self-righteous too. Amen? I'm looking at some of y'all. Guess who else gets the gospel? Jesus says, Mary, go and tell who? The disciples. Remember the disciples? The self-righteous, arrogant, clueless bunch of... Mm. Jesus says, them too. In other words, the gospel to anybody. Thank you, Lord. The self-righteous, the arrogant, the I'm educated, I got stuff put together, no, no, but I need Jesus. By the way, I know you don't talk like that. I do. Um, as well as the Marys, as well as those who failed, the drug addicts, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, the mental patients. Oh, the beauty of it. You know what this means? You know why this is so important to me? Because every single week in our church, there are skeptics. Every single week in our church, there are people who are investigating Christianity. And there's some of you this morning, there's some, listen to me, please listen to me. There's some of you this morning who've been coming and you've been collecting the dots, but you're sitting on Peter, I want to believe in Jesus, man, but this whole faith thing, it's scary, man. I want to surrender, but it, this whole thing is really, really scary. 
See, what happens in the Bible is when people believed, guess who even gives them the faith to believe? God gives people the faith to believe. That's why Christians don't walk around with a swagger. That's why there's no such thing as an arrogant Christian. Those things don't go in the same dish. You know what I'm saying? Because if you believe today, guess who gave even the faith to believe? So from beginning to end, who gets the glory? God does. But if you're sitting in this morning going, man, Peter, I'm just, you know what, your message and what you've been saying, what you've been saying in the other weeks and what I've been hearing and what I've been sensing, what I've been feeling, what I've been experiencing with other people, what is this? You know what that is? You know what that is? That's God wooing you. That's creator God wooing you. And be honest with him. Be honest. Don't pretend. Don't fake. Be, say this morning, God, I want to worship you, but I'm scared. I want to believe in you, but I'm terrified. I want to surrender to you, but I don't want to lose control. Be honest with him. Be honest. Totally, utterly honest with him is the best thing that you can do and allow him to do what he wants to do. Because the Bible says he'll give you faith, even the faith to believe. At the end of this deal, as I said this morning, I'm going to give an invitation. Now, here's, don't get freaked out by that. I'm li- just simply saying, you've been hearing the stories. You've been collecting the dots. But you, I don't care if you grew up in church. I don't care if you went to church every Sunday. I don't care if you're sitting in this morning, your Bible's worn out. Because in your mind, you haven't understood the gospel. In your mind, you're like, Christian, good person, moral person. I do church things. I tithe. I give. And that means that I'm good with God. No, Christianity says... Something entirely different. And I'm going to talk about that at the end. But if God is wooing you, I want, to, I want to just plead with you. Don't harden your heart. Don't say, well, you know, next week, next month. Because next week your heart might be hard. Next month your heart might be hard. Uh, real, real quick, one last uh, I love the fact that Jesus calls her by name. You notice? It's not just, hey, woman. He finally breaks away. He goes, Mary. Do you know why? In that culture, to call someone's name, name is much more significant than it is today. Name meant your identity. It's who you are to your core. I'm speaking to a congregation that comes every Sunday, and you are worn out and tired. Do you know why? Because you're out there pouring your blood, sweat, and tears to find a name for yourself. You are trying so hard to find a name, significance, identity, and what you do, who you are. You are worn out and tired. And Jesus says, unless you know me, you're never going to know who you are. Unless you know me, you're never going to know what your purpose in life is. Unless you know me and I give you a name, you're not going to know why you're even on planet Earth. Jesus Christ gives us a name freely of charge and identity and significance that comes from being his child. All right. We're almost done here. Let's go on. Jesus said, do not hold on to me. <laughs> For I have not returned to the Father. Come on up, Carlton. Come on. I, I just got to. I got I to gotta, I gotta demonstrate this morning. Okay? Some of us that grew up in church, we have this image. We have this image like this is how it happened. Okay, so I'm Mary. You're Jesus. Got that this time? Okay. Because this morning, Carlton was like, Peter married? No, I'm married. Okay, now we're playing. We're all like... So we think what happened was, go ahead, Jesus say, Mary. <gasps> Jesus. And she reached out and Jesus did what? Put that, oh, no, no, don't, don't, no, don't touch me yet. Don't touch me. I've yet gone to the Father. Don't touch me. You know, holiness, radiance, glory. Ah, you know. But we... <laughs> 
<laughs> what was that? I like that. Okay, the holy, okay. I didn't realize he was Catholic. Okay, anyway. So, <laughs> so we think that's what it means. We go, oh my gosh, it's kind of, no. But here's what happened. You ready? Here's what really happened. And I'll show you in Greek. Okay. Right, Mary, Mary, Mary. Jesus? Oh, it's you. It's really you. Give Carlton a hand. The word literally in Greek is don't hold on to me so tightly. Literally, Jesus going, ow. Is what he's saying. And I'll come back to why that's so important. Go and say to my brothers and tell them, I'm returning to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Resurrection faith results in an explosion of love. Can I ask you something, child of God, this morning? Do you love Jesus like that? Jesus like that. She thought the gospels, whenever people would hear Jesus loves you, they go, Yeah, I know. But when somebody came to Mary and said, Jesus loves you, she said, Me. Me. Wait a minute. He loves me. to wander the streets. I used to cut myself. I used to be chained out of my mind. And you're telling me that he loves me? Child of God, can I ask, I need to, when's the last time you sat and you thought he loves me? He loves me. This is the reason why I say every week, your perception of how much he values you and how much Jesus loves you will be directly related to how much you value Jesus and how much you love him. The reason why this morning your heart is hard, the reason why you're so stingy with your money, the reason why you're so anxious, the reason why you can't forgive, the reason why you think too highly of yourself or too low of yourself, the reason why, the reason why you can't take major risks for Christ, the reason why you don't go out of your way to serve and care for the least of these, the reason why all of those things are happening is because deep down inside you don't know and daily believe that he loves you like that. Because if you and I had the explosion of the gospel in our hearts and we said every day, me, he loves me, he loves me. There's not a single thing in this world that you would be willing to grasp so tightly that you wouldn't let go for Jesus. And there's nothing, there's nothing that you would not risk to be with him. And everything, and I mean everything, will grow dim in the light of his glory and his grace. Has an explosion of love like that happened in your heart? And if you're sitting in this morning, you're like me. I confess. You're like, 
dude, man, I hear the gospel. I know here that Jesus loves me. But man, Peter, that kind of explains. Like, why me? I can't remember the last time. I thought, why me, God? Why? You love me. Essentially, Jesus says to Mary, I'm going to go to the Father. I'm going to go to the Father. And the reason why that was encouraging is because we know in John 16, Jesus says, unless I go to the Father, I can't send the Holy Spirit to you. And what Jesus was promising to all those who would follow him, he said one day he was going to send a comforter, one day he was going to send the Holy Spirit who would live in us, not just with us, live in us, in such a way that the assurance of his love would be so much more real and palpable in that moment with the Holy Spirit than if he was physically here and holding us. Do you believe that? If you need that assurance of his love and the Spirit of God lives in you as a child of God, the Bible says ask. Ask that the Spirit of God who came to manifest and make real to you the love of Christ would make real to you and manifest just how much overwhelmingly he loves you. At this day, you too would cry out, you love me like that. Me. And lastly, resurrection faith leads to mission. Mission. When you read the Gospels, you never, ever, you never, ever see somebody who encountered the love of Christ <laughs> doing what maybe some of us do unintentionally. You know, when somebody experiences the love of Christ in the Gospels, they don't go, oh, you love me? That's cool. I'm good. All right, thanks. In the Gospels, when somebody explains God's love, what do they do? Jesus said, go and tell. And they were like, who can I tell? Who do I tell? Who do I tell? Who do I let know about what he did for me? Who do I? And, and the thing is, this is so true of brand new Christians. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, man, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed. People in our church, like, oh. The people who are like the most serious, radical evangelists, you know, people who are every Sunday like, I want you to meet my eight friends. <laughs> and you find out they become a Christian like three months ago. Because you don't have to tell somebody you just encounter the love of Christ. Hey, go tell. I got it. And the disciples, Jesus says, go and tell. Mary is on her way. And what did she tell? Here's the thing. She didn't go, hey, Jesus Christ came and died for your sins so you can go to heaven. Isn't that great? What did he say? He said, Jesus Christ came and he has ushered in the kingdom. The kingdom. Why is that important? Because what awaits us, and I hope this this jazz you up, what awaits us and what the resurrection of Christ means is not just personal salvation for our souls, but restoration and renewal for the whole world. Amen? For the entire world. That the resurrection of Christ means that Jesus Christ began the process of bringing shalom. Not just reconciliation between us and God, but us and each other and the whole world. And that's why the Bible says that those who encounter resurrection faith goes out and tells in word and deed that Jesus Christ will one day return and make all things new. That's why if you're not a Christian today, you would want the resurrection to be true. Do you know why? Because if you're out there fighting injustice and working against poverty and stuff like that, what would give you motivation if at the end of the day you're like, this world, after the end, I'm just going to burn up. Or, you know, at the end, who knows what happens? But the Bible says you have a motivation because Jesus Christ is risen and he did. And you have all the motivation to go out and usher in the kingdom and the power of the Spirit. Amen? Somebody once asked Martin Luther, hey, Martin Luther, what would you do if Jesus Jesus Christ was coming back tomorrow? Do you know what he said? He said, I'd plant the tree. Think of how good it will do. My question this morning was this. Are you planting trees of justice, of love? Are you planting trees 
of radical sacrificial service in the areas of most brokenness because you know and I know that Jesus Christ will one day return and he's going to make all things new so that nothing that we do in this earth is a waste. Everything will be included. Everything will be celebrated and everything will be transformed. That's why the Apostle Paul, his resurrection chapter in 1 Corinthians 15 ends it this way. He says, so therefore, if Christ has risen, give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. See, see, I'm done. So come on out. Yeah. So this morning, resurrection faith. And you, you, I don't know your story. I know some of your story because you've been coming to our church and I've been talking to you, coffee, lunch, and you've been collecting the dots. Some of you came for the first time, and you just thought you were just coming to a worship service, but maybe this morning you're sitting there going, you know, I thought I was a follower of Jesus, but man, I've been going to church a month for this. I, what, what is this you're talking about? And we just put it as bluntly and as scripturally as possible. Jesus Christ said this. He said, resurrection faith and those who embrace it must repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe the good news. What is repentance and what is Belief, repentance, friends, is this. Repentance is acknowledging and admitting that we have sinned. Now, here's the thing. When the Bible says you sin, it doesn't just mean I've just done some bad things and I've disobeyed God and I've hurt people and lied and cheated. No, repentance is literally going, I've sinned. And what is sin? Sin is us substituting ourselves where God deserves to be, that is, on the throne of our lives. That's sin. Every single one of us are sinners in that sense because every single one of us at some point in our lives have said to God, you're not going to be on the throne of my life. I'm going to be on the throne of my life. And what's salvation? Salvation is then Jesus substituting himself where we deserve to be, which is on the cross. He lived a life we should have lived and he died the death we should have died. He paid the penalty for our disobedience, our rebellion, our cosmic treason of saying, I will be God. So repentance, if you have courage enough this morning to do this, repentance is not just, I'm sorry, I'll try to do better. Repentance is, I'm done being in control of my life. I'm done being the Lord, master of my life. I'm done with self-determined. I'm done being the God of my life. I surrender, I yield, and I obey to the Lordship. So today, yes, you are being confronted with this truth that either you think you're competent and capable to do your life or God is. And repentance is admitting God's capable. I'm not. Belief, what is belief? Belief, friends, is not, oh, I believe in God or I believe in Jesus or I believe that he did certain good things. Belief literally says, I believe that my acceptance of God is based on his work, his past, his record, not mine. That means that God accepts me and invites me into his family, not based on my morality, my achievement, and my success and what I've done, but because of the perfect work of Christ so that when we believe in him, oh, all that Jesus did, the Bible says, gets applied to us so that when God sees us, he sees us as having done everything that Jesus did. So he sees us as righteous, as holy. Faith that leads to salvation. John put it this way in John 1, 12, to those who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Hmm. So this morning, I, I don't, again, I don't know your story. I don't know where you came from. And you've been coming for weeks and some of you. And 
Or you can go up to church, but you know, guys, if you're sitting here this morning and you're sitting there going, you know, Peter, I got to be honest, I've never done that. I thought it was about being good, being moral, reading my Bible, going to church and avoiding certain things, but I've never come to a place of going, God, I'm done being my own God. I'm done being in control. I'm done being my own Savior. I repent of that. I confess of that. I'm tired of it. I'm stopped pretending. And I'm accepted because of what Jesus did, not because of anything that I do. I believe that. And this morning, for some of us, you've never done that. And this morning, you want to say, Peter, I'm ready to do that. I'm ready to say, I want to follow Jesus as Lord. Hear me. I'm not asking you to earn ticket to heaven. I'm saying, I'm following Jesus as Lord. Resurrection faith. Follow him as Lord. And trust and ask that he'll give me strength to do what he wants me to do. If you're ready to do that in a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand. Here's the reason why. We're not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to come to the front. Because anybody in here who's a Christian, they know we can't do Christian life on our own. Amen? We all know because we tried some of us and we failed. We failed miserably. We can't do this on our own. We need community. We need people around us to go, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. We're right here. And in our church, when anybody says, I give my life to Jesus, follow him as Lord, we have a group of people. It's not selective. It's not prepared for him. Our church rises up and goes, I'll get your phone number. I'll get your email address. I'm going to call you. I'm going to email you. We're going to meet for coffee. I'm going to answer questions, love on you, spend time together. That's why we ask you to go, I want to do that. Not to embarrass you. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to just pray. I'm just going to pray. And after I'm done prayer, I'm going to ask those of you that want to do that today, today to say, I follow Christ as Lord Peter. I know I can't do this on my own. I need God. I need you. I'm going to ask you to stand. And as soon as you do, within a matter of seconds, there's going to be a crowd of people around you. Happened this morning. Happened this afternoon. So God, to anyone this morning whose heart is being wooed, to any child, son or daughter this morning who's feeling compelled to say, I've heard it, I know it, now it's time. Now it's time for make this decision. It's time for me to make this commitment. I'm scared to death, God. I'm scared to death, but I need to do it because I can't do it on my own anymore. I want to follow you as Lord, lay down my life and with your strength, And the help of this community, walk with Christ as Lord. Holy Spirit, that you would be at work in their hearts, work in their life right now. That you'd give some of them courage if they need courage. They have nothing to be afraid of. That they would respond to the truth and the beauty of the gospel. 